Check. Why don't we go ahead and find our seats and we'll get started here today. Well, good morning and welcome to The Vine. It's so good to have you guys here today. Welcome, welcome. I'm Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, before we kick off our sermon and our text for today, I want to draw attention to some really faithful volunteers. Now, we have a ton of volunteers at The Vine, and so I wish I could acknowledge everybody this morning, but just want to acknowledge a few uh, this morning. So if you look outside, this may seem like an incidental thing, but it's been a lot of work. So we need to acknowledge uh, Scott Welch. I don't, is Scott here? I haven't seen him today. Um, oh, there he is, my man. Raise your hand, Scott. All right, everyone needs to give Scott a hug after church. He will love that. Um, now, these, these fences around the HVAC system outside the building here and the big fence around the dumpster, Scott's been serving a ton uh, with just some general kind of maintenance things here at the Vine, and he's had some people helping him too. I don't know who they are. Scott, you could let folks know who those folks are. But just uh, say thank you, because this is a big project. Um, and uh, in addition... Scott helped with our, our floor outside here. I don't know if you noticed this morning. We're making progress on the floor in the lobby. And so that's going to be stained concrete here in, uh, in a few days or so, whatever. And so Scott Sterner was on hands and knees. Uh, in addition, Asher, uh, Asher Eccles was helping. My son helped a little bit. And Scott Welch as well, getting our floors ready to go. So a big project, not easy to do. So we should be thankful. And so when you see those guys, tell them thanks for serving. Okay. Um, in addition, we're kind of kicking um, back into our full programming for Next Generation. And so James Davenport as elder over that, and Nate, uh, I'm sorry, um, Kelsey and Marie um, have been working really hard at that. And so I think those guys were in the first service. Um, and so go out of your way to thank them, especially if you're parents. Uh, they, they do a lot of work. There's a lot of structures in place to have Next Gen, Gen happening and volunteers. So, so thank them. In addition, Alan Byington, he's out in the lobby with the, looking like a security guard with the, uh, the earpiece in. Um, but he's been doing a great job just organizing kind of our security team and just policies and procedures that you guys don't really ever have to think about that are necessary, like what do we do if there's a fire? Or what do we do if there's a tornado warning or whatever? Some of these kind of really practical things that we have to um, go through at times, unfortunately. So he's got helping us um, organize protocol for some of those things and policies. And so just go out of your way when you see him this morning to thank him. Um, it's been a lot of work. And so please do that. It's really important to acknowledge those that serve so well. It's good for us to give encouragement. It's good for them to receive encouragement. Okay? That's what we want to be all about here at the Vine. So I've asked Amy to come up and read our text for today. If you have a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Luke 18, starting in verse 1, and Amy's going to read it for us. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? 
Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give, them ju- give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is God's word. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, how it's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We thank you that you have given it to us as a gift so that when we receive it, you promise to conform us to the image of your Son by the power of your Spirit. Lord, I pray we would have ears to hear this morning. I pray that we would be open and listening. God, would would we not have hard hearts this morning? Would you soften hard hearts? Would you encourage those that are feeling feeble this morning? Would you uh, strengthen those who are falling this morning? Would you humble those who are feeling prideful this morning? And we ask for your power flowing through your word to do its work, the work that you promised to do by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You know how when you want something really bad, it feels like oftentimes it takes forever to arrive? So, like lots of examples in our world. But I remember as a kid, you know, you can't wait for your birthday to arrive, right? And it's like you, the birthday comes, you have your party, get your presents, whatever, and then it's like counting down again, 364 days now, right? Or same with Christmas. Like, man, just my kids, they like salivate over the presents under the tree and like, just like, when is Christmas going to be here? Can we get on with this? Can we get on with this? Maybe if, if you're married here, you remember the period of engagement and how there's all the details and the drama sometimes and all the planning. It's like, can we just get married? Can we just get this window of engagement over with and just get married? My word, get this over with, right? I remember, for me, a poignant time of, of this in my life was college. In my fourth year of college, I had wicked senioritis. You know, just like, get me out of here. Like, I'm ready to be done. I don't want to take any more finals. I don't want to take any more notes. I'm sick of studying. I want to marry this gal, and we're going to move, and let's just move on with life. Some of you might be in a journey of physical health, of maybe trying to lose weight or gain muscle, or maybe you're post-surgery. And a lot of times post-surgery, we've got to do physical therapy. And it's this long journey. Like when I was in high school, I um, was in a, I had an injury from a basketball thing, and I connected my elbow with this guy's mouth and broke his tooth, and he um, popped the bursa stack, sack in my elbow, which is this little sack that lubricates your joints. And so my whole elbow f- filled with fluid, and I had a straight arm like this for like three months because of the swelling. It was kind of crazy. And so I had to go to physical therapy and just get that every day, just like get it moving a little bit more, a little bit more. It's painful. It took forever. And I was like, can I just get back to playing basketball? This is horrible. It took forever. Some of you know what that's like, right? Maybe you've had a, 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 a challenge with a surgery or something and you're recovering. I know James here, he just had an ACL and he's in physical therapy forever. It took a long time, right? It can be discouraging. And there's this t- temptation oftentimes to want to give up. Right? Maybe it's weight loss or weight gain or getting in shape or eating healthy or whatever it is. These things that take a long time, man, it just can wear us down. Right? Things that don't happen overnight, man, we just can want to give up. Forget it. It's not coming to pass. Too much effort. 
this level of discomfort and this level of patience that's demanded of me, forget it. Well, Jesus knows this is part of our human experience. And it's not just a temptation physically. Jesus knows as well that it's also a temptation spiritually. It's a temptation spiritually. We can so often be in the midst of some type of suffering. Maybe it's at the hands of injustice and it's dragging on a long time. Maybe extreme suffering where you feel like you're so in over your head, you're powerless to do anything about your situation. There's people in this world who endure life situations at the hands of injustice that are so horrific that it's like, it's hard to relate to even how they carry on, right? There's, there's many people that, in light of their situation, are tempted to, to look to the heavens and go, man, forget this. There's no God. How could there be a God in light of what I'm going through and the amount of injustice that's being inflicted on me right now? How could there be a God where the claim is that he's just? And when you open up your news app on your phone and you, and you see the things that people endure today or throughout world history, I mean, in a sense, even though that's not true, we can be empathetic with those feelings, Right? See, Jesus knows that we're prone to feel this way, and he wants his followers to do something with those feelings. And remember that there's always yet hope because of some important truths, and that's what we're going to see today. Now, if you're new here today, we've been going through a series on the parables of Jesus found in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are just stories that have usually one main point— that Jesus is illustrating this is the truth about God or this is the truth about my rule and reign in the universe. This is the truth of what it means to be my follower. And we're going to do one of those again today. And here's the big point for us today. When we're tempted to feel the way that I just described in light of some injustice that we are experiencing, If you're a Christian and you're enduring the blows of injustice and are powerless to change things through your own effort, three things Jesus wants from us. He wants us to pray. He wants us to not give up. And he wants us to remember that Jesus will return soon. He will return soon to bring justice and make all things right. He wants us to pray. He wants us to not give up. And he wants us to remember that Jesus will return soon to bring justice and make all things right. And he told this vivid parable to show us this. Let's look at it. Verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. So right off the bat, we hear from Luke about what our application should be, all right? So here's what you're going to leave with today, Vine Church, okay? Always pray, don't give up. Always pray, don't give up. Always pray, never give up. But here's the thing. It's not just that. It's not just prayer in the abstract. It's not just prayer in general. 
What we're going to see in this parable is there is a certain kind of praying that Jesus is zeroing in on here today for us. And we're going to see that when we understand his parable, when we understand his illustration. So let's look at it. Jesus, what kind of prayer are you talking about? Well, let's take a look. He said, verse 2, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. All right, so let's, let's stop right there. We've got two characters, right? What are they? We've got the judge and we've got the widow. And the judge is a powerful man in a position where he can administer justice as he sees fit, right? So he's making the decisions. He's in a position of power, right? And we've got this widow, and she doesn't have any power. So what does she have to do? She has to go to the one who does have power and ask for justice, right? Now, when the Bible was written, this is important to understand, being a widow was a very, very vulnerable position to be in. So back then, women did not have rights like we do today, right? Women um, needed someone to advocate for them different than is maybe the case today. So if you didn't have a husband to care for you, to provide for you, you were in a very precarious situation, very vulnerable. And that's what this woman is. She's a widow. She doesn't have a husband to advocate for her. So what Jesus is doing is he's painting separate pictures here, a picture of strength and a picture of weakness, all in the midst of an environment of injustice. Because what did she say? She says, give me justice against my adversary. So we can assume that someone is taking advantage of her because she's weak. She's easy to take advantage of. She has an adversary. She's suffering injustice. And she's asking for the judge to come to her aid. And it's not that she just asks once. Look at, it, look at what it says in verse 3. What does it say? It's habitual. It's repeated. She's coming after him. It almost feels like she's nagging him, Right? Give me justice. She keeps coming. That's what it says, right? Verse 3. Over and over again. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. Now, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So he gives in. And at least he's honest, right? He's like, I don't care about God. I don't care about this woman. But man, she's driving me nuts. I'll do what it takes to get her off my back, right? Stop pestering me, lady, right? And so that's, that's the end of the parable, period. That's it. So now Jesus wants to teach us something. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Are you willing to hear this morning? So now Jesus speaks up and he says, verse 6, look at it. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Like, guys, are you listening? Did you hear what this unrighteous judge, did you hear what he just said? Isn't that interesting? Were you listening? Did you catch that even sometimes wicked people know how to give justice? Like, that's pretty remarkable that this dude, he doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about this woman. But this woman, she still got what she asked for. 
she still received justice. Even from this guy who was just straight up a jerk. Even he could deliver when she asked. And she didn't give up. And look at what Jesus says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Pray. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Remember that Jesus will return soon to bring justice and make all things right for those who are suffering at the hands of injustice. So in order to understand this parable rightly, we have to see things in context. You, say, you hear me say that all the time. I want to drill it in your brain. It's one of the most important things to understand your Bible. We have to read our Bible in context. So in order to understand this parable, it's really important that we see the context of a broader conversation. So look back at 17, starting in verse 20. Okay, look back. Let's just jump back a few verses. 17, 20. Look at what it says. This is the context of the conversation that Jesus is having where this parable is found. And being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Okay, stop right there. So the context here is these religious leaders, the Pharisees, Jewish guys, are asking Jesus about end times things. So according to them, the Messiah is going to return, set up his rule and reign worldwide, and it's going to be this beautiful kingdom. Right? And they're wanting to know when that's, when, when that's going to happen. Jesus, what do you think? They didn't know that he was the guy, or they didn't believe that he was the guy. And so this is the context. Jesus is tell, responding to this question. And so if you read the rest of the chapter 17, you'll see Jesus talking all about this stuff, about the end times and how it's going to happen, what to look for. And we're not going to get into all that. But then, on the heels of some of those answers about the end times, about the Messiah returning, making all things right, he tells this parable. And look at the end of the parable, verse 8, the last sentence. He says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes. So again, he's talking about it again. He's kind of bookends, bookends to this section. First question, what's this end time stuff going to be like? And then Jesus ends the parable with, but when I do return, when the Son of Man does come back, will he find faith on earth? So this isn't just a, a, a parable about prayer in general. About praying and not giving up just in general. This is about praying for the return of Jesus. Praying for the second coming. Praying for the day when justice will, will finally reign, all things made right, evil defeated for the final time. King Jesus will establish his glorious reign. That's what this parable is about. A specific kind of praying based on a specific kind of situation that Jesus knew his disciples would find themselves in and that we still find ourselves in today. This is a parable about praying for Jesus' return. Jesus, come back, come quickly, because I'm like this weak widow who's suffering injustice and I need help. That's what this parable is about. Suffering injustice and crying out to the Lord to return and wipe it all out. Set the scales of injustice finally right. Balance those scales. 
And Jesus knew that his followers would long for this day. Those that were truly following him would cry out to him because they would find themselves in situations where they're sowing over their their head, right? They don't have the power to to manipulate the power structures of the world to, 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 to bring about justice. They don't have that power. So they would cry out to him. Now, maybe today you don't feel like you can really relate to that. And that's okay. The day may come when you do in more significant ways. But beyond just, hey, what's in it for me? I don't really feel this. I'm not suffering massive injustice because of my faith right now, so I'll check out. Let's not do that. Because here's the deal. There's hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of Christians in the world today that are. And so our faith is not just about me and the Lord. It's about us and the Lord. And there's a global family of Christians, some of whom are suffering horribly at the hands of injustice. And so when we read pray and don't give up, well, maybe it's not for yourself. Maybe it's for them. So let me give you some examples. I was doing a little research this week about Christian persecution in our world today. And an article about the top 50 countries in the world where that is being experienced. And here's just some bullet points. Approximately 215 million Christians experience high, very high, or extreme persecution. North Korea remains the most dangerous place to be Christian for 14 years straight. Islamic extremism remains the global dominant driver of persecution responsible for initiating oppression and conflict in 35 out of the 50 countries on the 2017 list. The total number of persecution incidents in the top 50 most dangerous countries increased, revealing the the persecution of Christians worldwide is a rising trend. The most violent, Pakistan, which rose to number four on the list, for a level of violence, quote, exceeding even northern Nigeria. The killings of Christians in Nigeria saw an increase of more than 62%. The killings of Christians were more geographically dispersed than in most time periods studied. 23 Christian leaders in Mexico and four in Colombia were killed specifically for their faith. This, just, this isn't just Southeast Asia and the Middle East. So Mexico, Colombia... The worst increase, uh, the African nation of Mali, which moved up the most places on the list from number 44 to number 32. And finally, Asia is a new center of concern with persecution, persecution, persecution rising sharply in Bangladesh, Laos, and Bhutan, and, and Sri Lanka joining the list for the first time. Now there's stories coming out of these place, places that would just blow your mind. But just in light of these stats, like, who among us here can handle these situations, right? Who has the power to make all this better? Who has the power to come in and and organize how to bring about justice? Can any of us up to that task? To, to, To ultimately relieve this suffering? So what do we do? We pray. We pray. We pray and ask King Jesus to come and make it right. Verse 1, pray and not lose heart. Like a powerless widow seeking justice, we cry out to him. We long for his return. 
So Jesus teaches us here to pray for ultimate justice that will take place at his second coming. When the Son of Man comes, verse 8, will he find faith on the earth? So we pray for justice. I want you to see the repeated word. Look at verse 7 and 8. Again, this is not just random praying. It's praying for justice. It's praying in the face of injustice. Will not God give justice to his elect? So he's talking about Christians here, his elect, who cry out to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will again, again, give justice. Again, that theme. He will give justice to them speedily. So, so why would he say this to his first followers and to us? Well, because what did he say? Jesus said, I'm sending you Christians. His first, he said it to his first disciples, says it to us now. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Wolves aren't worried about justice. They're worried about consumption and killing and eating and doing what it takes to maintain their power. That's what wolves are all about. And Jesus says, I'm sending you out like a sheep. Sheep don't have sharp teeth. Sheep don't have claws. They are defenseless. So what does sheep need? They need a shepherd. They need a shepherd. They need to know that they can cry out to the shepherd because he's the one that can handle wolves. He's got a lot of experience. He's not scared. He knows how they work. He knows their tricks. And so what do sheep do? Sheep cry out to the shepherd. That's what they can do. In the face of wolves that want to come and bring about injustice upon them. That's what Jesus is getting at here. There's a day when the shepherd will come one final time and the scales of justice will finally and completely be balanced. But for some of you, maybe you're feeling the attack of injustice for your faith in some way. And you read a couple words in here that feel a little uncomfortable because it feels a a bit disconnected from your experience. And as you look at verse 7 and 8, look at it, you'll see two words about pace. He's going to come speedily, and he says, will he delay long over them? Like, it's not going to be that long. It's going to be speedily. And you read that and go, it feels like it's taking a long time, right? Sometimes we feel as though God is not out there. He's not hearing us because our view of time maybe might not be the same as God's. And our timetable is oftentimes very different than God's. But we can, we can, we can be caught up and go, man, it's been 2,000 years now that we've been asking for the second coming. Like, God, is this your definition of speed? Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Have you ever thought about that? Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter. But do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow. Like this is, this is Bible. 
I'm making this up. God's claim about himself is that he's not slow. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. So maybe we have definitions that are messed up. But here's, here's what God is. He is patient towards us, towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, God's chosen people in the Old Testament, we, we're going to read about this in the book of Exodus. We're going to start studying Exodus in the coming weeks. God's people in the book of Exodus, we learned that they waited and they cried out for 400 years before they were delivered. That's not, that's not super fast. They had to wait 400 years for their redemption from wickedness. Maybe God's timetable is different than ours. And I think maybe it's a matter of perspective. Maybe it's a matter of perspective. See, God's perspective is very different than our perspective. We already learned about that. A thousand years is, is like a day. But maybe we can think about this in our own terms. So, those of you here who have had babies, women in the room who've had babies, uh, you know how long that pregnancy feels, right? Morgan here, she's had a baby. A lot of babies at the Vine. Man, you get to month eight and nine, or so I'm told. I don't have a ton of experience. But what I'm told is, you know, you're not sleeping well, your ankles hurt, your back hurts, everything hurts, you know. And it's like, man, when is this baby going to be born? Can we get this over with, right? It just feels like it's taking forever. But then you get to my stage in parenting, and it's like, in the blink of an eye, I got a 14-year-old, almost 15. Like, that's crazy. Morgan and Chase, that kid's going to be driving before you know it. Okay? And so, it's like nine months, it took forever, and then you get 15 years down the road, and you're like, wow, that went so fast. Right? Maybe some of you run a marathon, and you get to mile 21, and it's like, this is about to be game over. Right? My, 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 my emotions are taking over. Everything's in me wants to either rage on someone waving that stupid bell in my face or like just come unglued and start crying because everything hurts. My legs are all jello-y. It's like, can I do this? But then you cross the finish line and a few days pass. It's like, man, that, in the midst of it, that was bad. But it, it honestly, it kind of went by pretty fast. And it really wasn't that bad. I think of our last seven years here in Madison, and, and for sure we've had some long days, right? It's like, can we get this day over with and just go to bed? But, man, seven years like a blink of an eye. Like a blink of an eye. Where did those seven years go? My word. Or maybe just think of this past summer, right? Like, summer's over. School starts on Monday for my kids, maybe a week after that for your kids. This is crazy, like how fast it goes, Right? Where does summer go? It's all a matter of perspective. It's all a matter of perspective. So hear this. When Jesus, as God, with a God perspective, says that God will respond to the cries of his people in prayer and that he will do it speedily, we have to remember that God's sense of speed is oftentimes not the same as our sense of speed. So we got to hold on in faith. we got to hold on in faith knowing that God knows what he's doing even when we don't understand it, 
even when we want to try to rewrite his dictionary, right? He's got his definition of speed, and we're like, um, God, can we, can we edit this? Can I take an eraser? Because your definition, I'm not down, right? But see, right there, when we're in the anguish of our lack of understanding, that's when we have to listen to Jesus in, in Luke 18. With ears to hear and believe that he knows what he's talking about. What did he say? He said, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't give in. Keep praying. Keep praying for that day. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Keep praying. Keep praying. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find those that are faithful, waiting for him, crying out to him? Let me close with this. Let's look at the logic of what Jesus is doing here. This is a closing encouragement that I think is really helpful for us to see. See, what Jesus is doing here in this parable is arguing from the lesser to the greater. And he does this a lot, and other biblical authors do it too. So think about what he's doing. He's painted this picture of this judge who's just a jerk, right? And he doesn't love God. He doesn't care about this woman. He doesn't care about injustice, ultimately, even though he's powerful enough to do something about it. He doesn't really care. And Jesus is saying, how much more is your God who hears you praying? How much more is he different than this wicked judge. He doesn't have a shred of wickedness in him. He's got all justice within him. How much more is he dissimilar from the jerk judge, right? How much more will God come to your aid? See, if a sinful judge can bring about justice, how much more can the perfectly just God of the universe bring about justice to those who are afflicting his people? How much more can he right the scales? How much more can he protect his sheep from wolves? Now here's the problem. Some of us in this room with what you're enduring now, or some of us across the ocean with what they're enduring now, some of us what you're going to endure next week that you don't even know is coming, Or maybe you're just still feeling the reverberations in your life of something that happened a long time ago. Some some of us aren't going to feel those scales be righted until eternity. But here's the comfort. What does Romans 8 say? It says that what we endure now, the suffering that we endure now, maybe at the hands of injustice, is not worthy to be compared to the glory that will one day be revealed to us. So there's coming a day in eternity when it's going to be all glory. And when you're consumed with glory, man, that sliver, that missed life-like, that missed life, ah, that missed like life, James chapter 4, Our life is like a mist. Our mist like life will be just that. Like a mist that shows up and it's gone. You know like when you boil water on the stove and the mist comes up and then you turn off the stove and it's gone? The Bible says that's what our life is like. But there's going to be ever-increasing glory 
that reverberates into eternity. Try to wrap your mind around that one. That you can't even fathom. Because what is eternity compared to 80 years? It's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. So if you want to talk about speed, think about your life like the mist that that rises when you're boiling water on the stove compared to eternity. And let that encourage you. This justice that you cry out for when you're suffering, it's coming soon if that's your perspective. That's Jesus' perspective about speed and will he delay long over them. So where in your life right now do you relate to this poor widow? Past, present, future? Maybe it's just being reminded of all the situations throughout the world where we need to have solidarity with brothers and sisters that are like this widow crying out. Maybe it's a family situation. Maybe it's a work situation. Maybe it's a neighborhood situation. Maybe it's a political situation that's being forced upon you that you're powerless against. Maybe it's someone looking down on you because you're being a Christian in public. But let's review the response that Jesus has for us. And and he told them this parable to the effect that they ought to always worry. Is that what it says? It's not what it says, is it? He, He told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always try to control the situation on their own. Oh, wait, that's not what it says. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always go on an angry rant on their Facebook page. No, that's not what it says. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always um, give in to cynicism and sarcasm. Those aren't fruit of the Spirit, are they? He told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always get their friends together and just gossip about whatever's going wrong. That's not what he says. What does he say? That they ought to always pray and not lose hearts. That's the default setting. That's the knee-jerk response. All those other things I rattled off, that's our fleshly, sinful knee-jerk responses. And I'm right there with you, right? I'm, I'm being rebuked by this as I read it. Like, Lord, would you help us make prayer our knee-jerk response? Because there's all these other things that we quickly run to. And at the root of all that stuff is just pride, that I can handle this on my own. And what is prayer? Prayer is the opposite. I can't handle this on my own, so I'm coming to you. I'm not sure many of us think this way, but I think one of the best things for our Christian life moving forward is envision a widow 2,000 years ago. That's who we are. We're not nearly as powerful as we think we are, or at least as we act. Maybe our pretense. So we don't have an unrighteous judge. We have a perfect judge who loves to hear us, who promises to come to our aid in his definition of speed. And we are powerless. We are weak. We can't do anything on our own. What did Jesus say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. He didn't say apart from me, you can do a few things, or apart from me, you can do 50%. He said nothing. So what does that mean for us? It means we have the joy of being connected to a power source. And it's prayer. And it's prayer. 
And when you're in over your head as a Christian and you're suffering at the hands of injustice, prayer is the solution. Prayer is the knee-jerk reaction. Prayer is the default setting. Our Heavenly Father loves to hear the leaky faucet drip, drip, drip of our praying. And He doesn't go call the plumber. He's like, keep it coming. Keep that coming. He will return and make all things right. That's a promise. And it will be here soon. Let's plead with Him no matter where we are. Let's pray for it. It's our lifeline. Let's live like it. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? And Lord, we thank you for your word as it's so encouraging to us this morning. Lord, for those here that are suffering, would you comfort them? For those here that are assuming a a power that is not true, would you show us that we need you and not ourselves? Lord, we ask for your help and we thank you that you hear us because of the cross and the resurrection. We, we, we thank you that we can know that we can trust you and pray to you because it's all true, validated in space, time, and history by what you did in the cross and the empty tomb. In Jesus' name, amen.